Hey, what's going on? It's Bill Burr, and it's time for the Monday Morning Podcast for Monday, June 5th, 2023. What's going on? How are you? How's it going with you? Oh, Billy's in a good mood. Oh, Billy's in a fucking good mood. Um, you know what? I saw a movie. I saw this Phil Hartman, rest in, rest, rest in soul, rest in peace. Phil Hartman told us, there's a clip going around where he was talking about how he did uh, some, uh, like, recorded one line for Jack Nicholson's character in this movie called The Border. Um, it's a, I don't know, Jack was probably doing another movie. They just needed one line. They couldn't get him in. They had to release the movie so Phil Hartman could do the impression, so he just delivered the line. There's a story he told on the Dennis Miller show. Anyway... The great Andrew Themelis sent me that clip, and I, and I was like, what's the Jack Nicholson movie called The Border? And I looked it up, and it's Jack Nicholson and Harvey Keitel. Did I talk about this the last podcast? I don't remember. All I know is I saw the movie. It's fantastic. And by the way, Harvey Keitel fucking ripped in that movie. And he's like 40 years old. Looks like a goddamn gymnast. He's sort of like the one of the first guys... That was like today in shape then. You know, because back then all you had to do was just sort of like, you know, be in shape and wear a butt. You could be like in my shape and people, that guy's in good shape. (laughs) He's hard boiled, I'll tell you. But like he was actually like fucking shred. I'm, I'm obviously professional athletes who are in great shape. But I mean, just as far as like actors being in shape, you know what I mean? Burt Reynolds was drinking the fucking Miller High Lifes. You know what I mean? He had a little pooch. You know, he, he, had, he had the first couple of abs, but he had, he had a little fucking little something or other there. Harvey Keitel fucking was ripped in that movie. And uh, amazing performance. Jack Nicholson. I really, I highly recommend the movie, although the ending, uh, I don't know what happened. It's, put it this way, any movie that ends on a freeze frame is usually not a good thing. <laughs> We don't have money for reshoots. We don't know how to get out of this. And free frame, go fuck yourself, roll credits. But definitely a, a great movie. And if you're a fan of Dodge, I don't know what they call them, the Power Wagon. What's, what's the Dodge version of the Chevy Blazer or the Ford Bronco? Um, whatever that is, the Dodge version of that. That's what the Border Patrol is driving in that. These two-door, like, Ranger green with a cream top. Why don't they do two-tone anymore? Um... Hey, why aren't things the way they used to be? Somebody sent me this joke a comedian or some comedian was doing. Or some, I can't remember, a humorist. I don't know what it was. It was late. And it was people from like, my, my generation is talking a lot of shit. Um, it's part of being old. I think you just talk a bunch of shit. I do it. But Jesus, some of the shit that they're saying, you know, Nobody complained back in the 80s. Nobody complained, right? And there's one of these kids today, they don't even know how to do cursive. They can't even read cursive. It's like, yeah. <laughs> they don't need to. You know what I mean? You can't download shit. I can't upload shit. Like, we're the idiots. We're literally looking at them like, ah, what are you going to do someday when you got to shoe a horse? This generation can't even churn butter. 
It's like, uh, well, things, things have progressed. Um, it's a very, uh, I don't know, it's a very common thing. I'm trying to, I, 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 I've been in it pretty bad, and I'm starting to realize, you know, it's my first time being old, you know, so I don't know how to be old, and now I'm kind of realizing, like, uh, you're, you're kind of being a cunt, you know? I was going to say, as my pubes turn the color of autumn leaves, but they were already there. <laughs> I've been in the autumn of my life since I was 14. Um, too much information, Bill. Um, autumn of my years, that's what it's supposed to be. Um, anyway, I went on a great fucking flight the other day. I was going to try to go all the way up to Paso Robles. So, of course, like every day is like fucking perfect to fly. Then the day I want to fly, there's like, you know, like a 2,500 foot ceiling. And, you know, when you go north out of LA, LA like, the, the topography, whatever you call it, it just, uh, it immediately, you know, it goes up like 2,000 feet quickly. So, I mean, the clouds were kind of meeting the top of the San Gabriel. So I was like, you know what? I'll fly out to the coast. I'll go up by Santa Barbara. I'll go by Santa Inez, you know? I'll go by uh, Michael Jackson's house and I'll fucking, I'll go up that way. So I was flying out there. Uh, It was kind of perfect weather for a ginger because it was cool out, man. And there was cloud cover protecting my ivory skin. (laughs) My alabaster, alabaster, torso from the sun fuckhead that he is. And uh, it was cool out and the visibility was all right, right? So I ended up flying out there. And uh, it rained a little bit, but I could see on the coast that it was, uh, the sun was out there. So I was just like, all right, it's just kind of raining through here. So I, you know, flew through that shit, made the right turn, went up to Santa Barbara. And I was just going to fly around their airspace. But when I got all the way up there, um, it it just, it was getting bad. It wasn't getting, it, it was beyond my comfort level. And I was flying to like, a place where I'd never been before. So what did I do? Did I do the machismo thing? You know, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to get there and blah, blah, get there. Itis, as they call it. I said, fuck this. I'll, I'll fly it a different day. Banged a Yui, came right back down and uh, transitioned through Oxnard. And then uh, whatever that fucking military airport is, Point Magoo or something like that. They go, okay, you can trans. I asked to transition along the coast, and they had two airplanes, military airplanes in the pattern. So they told me to transition along, um, what is that, the uh, the Pacific Coast Highway. And I, I hadn't flown over there for myself. So I'm like, I'm not really sure where that is. I imagine it's the one highway inland. And the guy goes, all right, transition three miles off the coast. And I'm like, I'm a fucking helicopter. I don't have any floats or a life preserver. I was like, ah, fucking. <laughs> I just punched in direct to their airport and I made sure I stayed. I got about to 2.8 miles and I'm just like, and I called them. I'm like, is this far enough out? They're like, yeah, you're good. I'm like, fine. Then I just made a beeline back in. So I was only out there for like a minute. And uh, I was like, well, you know, I'm on the radio. You know, if I end up putting in a drink, they're going to come and get me. I know they got some fucking helicopters. I'll tread water. Um, And then I flew down the coast, went across Santa Monica and Hollywood and all that type of shit. I just had like a, this great flight. So I realized because I have kids, as I talk about flying out over the ocean, I don't, uh, 
you know, I only have so much time to fly every month, so I'm just going to do longer flights. And I'm sick of the L.A. Basin area. I've done it a million times over the last decade. It's still fun, but uh, I want to start going up to like wine country and that type of shit, you know, fly up there with my instructor, bring my wife up and stuff like that. Um, I think it could be a fucking cool ass thing. But anyways, it was a big like confidence builder when anytime you, you fly into some shit, you know, you've done with an instructor, but this time you're doing it by yourself. Like, I was kind of proud of myself. I was like, all right, I didn't freak out that it was raining a little bit. You know, I can see the sun. All right, this will clear up. It's just raining here. And lo and behold, that's what happened. I was like, look at me. Look at me knowing things. Um, Anyway, enough about me and my fucking dad hobby accomplishments. Uh, Let's talk game one of the Stanley Cup finals. Final. Stanley Cup final. All right. Uh, Against... The relentless, the unstoppable. They play 60 minutes of hockey. They don't stop. I swear to God, their logo should be the fucking Terminator. And when that guy gave this piece, he's just going to keep coming. Well, that guy in platoon, Charlie ain't stopping for nothing, man. I got a bad feeling about this one, man. They just don't stop fucking playing. And it's an incredible lesson. I would think for any hockey coach to just do a highlight reel of the amount of fucking times. And the fucking Vegas Knights did it. Vegas Knights go up two to one. And what do they do? Ah, they kind of stopped skating a little bit. They didn't play 20 minutes. They played like 19 minutes, 25 seconds. And that's all those fucking goddamn Panthers need. They fucking scored a shorthanded goal, right? Little fluky thing. A defenseman breaks the stick. Vegas is on the fucking power play. The guy skates away. I'm like, what the fuck's he doing? I, and I couldn't, didn't realize it until the, uh, the replay there. The guy broke the stick. So he goes to the bench. Another guy comes off the bench. Or they gave him a stick. One or the other. And in that time, where all of a sudden, it, was, uh, it became four on four. The Panthers intercepted a pass. And there's a guy breaking out. As the defenseman is skating towards the zone, he has to slam on the brakes. They go past him. That other guy from the fucking, I don't know what team he was, I don't know anybody's name anymore. The old goal scorer, 37, is streaking down the ice following the play. The Vegas guy fucking doesn't skate. Tra-la-la down the ice. The fucking guy goes wide for whatever the goaltender goes way out of the net. The guy goes around the fucking net. Out to the dude who kept skating. It's in the back of the net. And then you see the Vegas Knight like, oh, man, what the fuck? What do you mean, what the fuck? I've been watching this movie every other night since April. When are these fucking cunts going to wake up and stop playing 54 minutes, 53 minutes of hockey? Jesus Christ, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, at the end of the first period and the second period said... You got to skate whistle to whistle. It's so obvious what the fuck they're doing. By the time Toronto decided to start fucking playing, they were already down three games to none. I don't know what the fuck happened with the Hurricanes and the Bruins. We could have closed these cunts out, but we didn't. We played 50 fucking four minutes of hockey. And because of that, we've been golfing for the last fucking two months. So anyway, uh, the Vegas Knights, I don't know much about them, but they, they looked pretty impressive, right? So they get up four to two. And I'm sitting on the couch with my 
father-in-law, and I just look over at him. There's about seven minutes left, and I go, around three and a half minutes left in this game, there's going to be a stoppage of play. And then the Panthers are going to start punching people in the head, cross-checking them, and face-washing them. And they're going to try to get matching minors, roughings, so they can play four and four and try and steal this fucking game. Right? As a stand-up comedian, I knew it was coming. I was off by a minute. Four and a half minutes. Four and a half minutes left, right? Left. They start doing that. That chicken shit style of fucking hockey. And the reason why I call it chicken shit, it's because you realize you can't skate five on five. And you also realize that the NHL has gotten rid of all the enforcers. So now you can go down there and start punching goaltenders and goal scorers in the fucking head four or five times until they lose their temper, punch you back once, and then get matching fucking roughing penalties. And I swear to God, the referees finally, because the, the, the Vegas Knights just sat there turning the other cheek. It was literally five on five of these guys with gloves on just punching the Vegas Knights in the heads, face washing them, and they're not doing anything. And I'm just sitting there, you know, they, they finally break them up. You know, Kachuk's in the middle of it. Great at stirring things up. And they go, to the, they, they go to the fucking box or whatever, and I'm just sitting, they go over to the, whatever, that the, the fucking guy is between the boxes, and they're, they're talking about the penalties, and they finally called it. They gave Vegas a four-minute power play, and they gave Kachuk a game misconduct. I have been waiting for that fucking call since the Bruins playing the fucking goddamn St. Louis Blues. Um... And it started this era where you can be way less talented than the other team and you can just get away with all kinds of shit because the fucking league penalized. Like back in the day, you did some shit like that. All of a sudden, Bob Probert spun you around and knocked your head into the fucking bleachers. All right, John Cordick, rest his soul, Chris Nyland, Jay Miller. These fucking guys, if you did any shit like that, any of that fucking... Chicken shit hockey. You punched their fucking goal scorer in the face. That was it. Dave Semenko, rest his soul. That was fucking it. They came out and they beat the fuck out of you. They could get out of the box and do it two more times before they threw them out of the game, before you got a game misconduct. And that was the way the players policed the game. And everybody sat there going like, why is it fighting? They're policing the fucking game. So they've gotten rid of the enforcers. So now a team like the Carolina Panthers, which I totally respect, but let's be honest, that Gutas guy, he's not a Norris Trophy winner. They don't have an Ovechkin on the team, all right? That is a six with a bunch of makeup on it. And they're out there, and they're, just, they're, they're, they're playing 60 minutes, but they're also doing that shit when they get down. And what ends up happening is the fucking referees award them, reward them for that type of chicken shit fucking play where, I mean, of course you're going to punch the goaltender in the head. Of course you're going to fucking face wash. Of course you're going to do all of that shit. There's nobody you have to answer to anymore. It's like there's a substitute teacher out there. So my thing is I, uh, my standing ovation to that officiating crew at the end of that game for finally getting that fucking call right. Because my thing is if you're going to get the enforcers out of the game, you have to police that shit with four-minute power plays and game misconducts. Or what you're going to have is mediocre teams um, just beating the other team down to their fucking talent level. It's just, I, I, I fucking, um, I've never respected that style of play. We can't beat you, so now we're just going to fucking try to injure you or whatever, whatever, you know? Um, I don't mind the instigating, you know, uh, back when there was... Inf- 
enforcers. I had no problem with that. And a lot of those instigators were, were actually tough players because they knew that they had a, a beat down coming. And, you know, like, you know, from Sean Avery back, like those guys, you know, if, if you were instigating, you also had to fight. You had, you know, you knew something was coming. But nowadays, I, I feel like you can just do it. You get a free pass. It's sort of the NHL's answer to that little safe space thing under the hoop in um, in the NBA, where it's just like even the defensive player has to clear out of there. We just can't have people clogging up and defending the basketball rim. You got to let these guys come in. And the amount of unguarded layups and dunks is just fucking insane. So anyway, plowing ahead here. They got it right. And if they continue to call the game like that, um, it's going to be interesting to see how the Panthers react to it uh, because I really think that Vegas keeping their composure in that moment kind of cracked the code uh, of the Panthers with that horse shit and the officiating crew hats off to them actually saw it. Now, who knows what's going to happen, but I will tell you they made twice. They made that mistake of not playing until you know, the end of the period. And they, they, they gave up both goals that they gave up, that shorthanded goal and, uh, and that other one. I, even though it was a set play off the faceoff, that second goal that they got, it's like, where was the faceoff? It was in your fucking zone because you guys were content to go into the fucking locker room with a 2-1 victory. I mean, 2-1 two, one, uh, two, one lead. Like, okay, 2-1, that's pretty good. A little poke check here. What the fuck happened? Back of the net, two to two. Um, so we'll see what we'll see what happens. I uh, this is a hard one because I kind of, as far as who I'm rooting for, um, Bruce Cassidy, former Bruins coach. I'm, I'm loving that. Um, and then also the way the Panthers have just you know how do you not root for a fucking eighth seed that's gone all the way to the finals, final, the Stanley Cup final. Um, and with that, over to the NBA Finals, which game two is happening here in a couple of hours. Um, I'm recording in the afternoon because I got I got a set tonight. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, I only watched about. I think I saw like the last quarter of the game, and Denver was just handling Miami, and they were up at like 21 points. And uh, but they're the Miami Heat, man. They ain't fucking quitting. It's kind of amazing that they have two. That both my city of Miami has two eighth seeds that are in the final and the finals, right? Um. So they ended up cutting the lead and went all the way down to nine. You know the announcers were like, ah, "This game's up." Blah 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 blah. And it's like all of a sudden it's down to twelve. It's down to ten. Down to nine. So. Uh, what I took away from that game, other than the fact that, you know, I didn't know, I don't know shit about hoop, especially out in the West. Uh, but that Jokic guy, um, I watched some highlight reels of that dude. And it's amazing. He does that Larry Bird pass, the two-handed over, you know, no look over the top of your head. And then he does all these Magic Johnson passes. He kind of can do both players passes but he looks like Larry Bird the whole time (laughs) so that's going to be fun to watch but um 
What I loved about the end of the game is the game ends, Miami loses, and you see Jimmy Butler walking off the court, talking to another player, strategizing. So um, I feel like both the Stanley Cup and the NBA, their last round here is two similar tales where you have a more talented team fighting a team that is like a goddamn wolverine or a badger. And they just... You ever see like those animal videos where like a bunch of wolves will like surround a badger or a wolverine and the thing like fights off the whole fucking pack? I feel like that's the mentality of both Miami teams. Um, And I'm also excited, you know, that it's not the fucking Warriors or the Lakers and a bunch of fucking free agents again. They kind of seem like there's, you know, they're not super teams or whatever, but that's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a different time, Bill. It's a different time. I'm trying to be the, the understanding fucking old ass motherfucker that I am. Um, so anyway, uh, Friday was my wife's birthday and then Saturday was my son's birthday. And, uh, I just had the best time. I've been home for like 48 hours straight. Haven't even left. Had a bunch of kids over for my son's birthday, swimming in the pool. Um, you know, grilling. I made some cupcakes, had a little bit of help from a friend, you know, um, and uh, actually a lot of help from a friend. And uh, and then for my wife's birthday, we went out to dinner and um, I bought her this beautiful dress. I did a thing. I actually found out her sizes and went out and bought her a beautiful dress and she absolutely loved it and looked stunning in it. And uh, So then I went out to eat with her and all her family and I made the mistake because I had such a good day. I crushed it so hard on the birthday that I was like, you know what? I'm going to take an edible. You know? I am fucking... I know I usually take the first 10 days off of every month, but you know, it's my birthday month. I'll do June 11th to June 21st this month. Fuck it, right? So I take it and I kind of had forgotten that I hadn't eaten much that day because we were going to this amazing restaurant, one of Nia's favorite restaurants. And I was like, all right. And she's like, the food's unbelievable. And I was like, I'm going to fucking throw down there. So I took the edible and woof, that thing hit me quickly. (laughs) And uh, I was social and then I wasn't for like an hour. And then I, I like to think I came back and saved it, but I was flying skyrocketing flight. I like the edibles, though. I like them way better than smoking. It just seems a lot more healthy. Or You know, sometimes I think just smoking, it's just really obvious what you're doing to yourself. Where, like, that shit. You know, the edibles, it's so funny. They have, like, sugar on them and stuff. It's so, like, it's so funny. They legalize weed, and they're going to somehow make it, you know, even more unhealthy. That's what I'm kind of worried about, like, mushrooms. As they're finding out, you know, or they probably already knew how healing those things can be if done correctly. Eventually, they'll become like the McDonald's version. They'll have that pink slime in them, you know. And then, well, who was that? Monsanto. Monsanto, they changed their name, took over the food supply. And what our food supply has become, they'll do that to the, you know, just heartless, heartless people. So, um, 
Speaking of that, I'm enjoying watching Joe Biden get blamed for the fact that the country's bankrupt. It's like the country, I don't know if you guys have realized this, this country has been bankrupt since way back uh, towards the end of George W. Bush. Uh, They started that fucking war over there or brought us in there and they had no fucking exit strategy and it costs us like a, what, a trillion dollars a day? Um. Yeah, we have been just printing money with nothing behind it every August for like the last over a decade. And, uh, but unfortunately, people are, you know, they look at politics like sports. They just keep doing the fucking Democrats, the libtards, oh, these conservative right-wing religious freaks sit there fucking arguing about small stuff. I always compare it to like, like how the average person is when they talk about politics what their what they their priority is it's like literally like a tornado just knocked down your house and you're screaming about how you need a new toaster it's like no we we need a new house why don't we get that first before you start dealing with appliances we don't have any outlets to plug them into i told myself i wasn't going to get you know i wasn't going to lose my shit here all right i watched that f1 race today the one from spain and, uh, I can't, you know, I like F1 or whatever, but it's just always the same thing. Now, instead of watching Lewis Hamilton get out in front in the first turn, now it's the, uh, the other guy there. Um, what's his name? The Red Bull guy? Sebastian Vettel? Is that who the fuck it is? Yeah, he just gets out front and then that's it. I think that's who won the race. Um, that's what he, I'm telling you guys. You got to watch MotoGP. All right. First of all, it's only like 22, 23 laps. Every fucking lap matters. There's no pit stops and they're just fucking flying, passing each other. You know, and when they crash, like literally a guy goes flying off of a motorcycle. (laughs) It's like watching Raiders of the Lost Ark when those people were trying to climb onto his truck. Um... Anyway, speaking of that, can, can you watch, is that TT race in the Isle, Isle of Man coming up? And can you watch that live? You probably can't because somebody dies every year. Um, all right, I'm done running my yap here. Let's do, the, uh, let's do the, um, the reads for the week. Policy genius, everybody. You know, a good life insurance plan can give you peace of mind that if something happens to you, uh, put it down. Uh, your family will have a safety net to cover uh, mortgage payments. Do you want me to hold the ladder? That would have been a better one. Uh, no, I'm good. College costs or other expenses. Are you sure you're okay to drive? So they can get back on their feet and focus on what's most important. Dude, please tell me you wore a condom. These are all things that people get said to before their family members uh, cash in their life insurance policy. Uh, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance... Policies that start at just $25 per month for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary (laughs) medical exams. Policy Genius has licensed agents who can help you find the best fit for your needs. They work for you, not the insurance company. That means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another so you can trust their guidance. Policy Genius is for parents, caregivers, or anyone who has people who depend on them. This is really important, people. I'm in a part of my life where a lot of people I know have died and they had loved ones and they did not have this stuff taken care of. As a man, you got to do it. Deal with your mortality. 
and make sure everybody's okay. The only thing they, they should have to deal with when you die is their grief. That's it. Uh, they, simp- they simplify the process of getting life insurance so you can protect the people you love. There are no added fees and your personal details are private. No wonder they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net. You deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head to Policy Genius or click the link in the description to get your free insurance quotes and see how much you could save. Uh, that's policygenius.com. Oh, look who it is, everybody. The classics, the classic lineup, stamps.com. They're back with their original drama. Uh, with so much of our world digitized or automated, why stick to old school mailing and shipping? If you mail or ship often, let stamps.com do the hard part for you. Simply pre- pr- print postage and shipping labels right from your home or office. Do you know my daughter is reading me books now? And when she, she reads like the cat in the hat, she goes, the cat in the hat came into the house. And on the floor, it saw a mouse. She kept doing that. And I was like, why are you doing that? She's like, because there's exclamation points. She thinks it means just yell the last word. It's the fucking, you know, I'm not going to correct her for another couple of weeks because it's just too fucking cute to watch. Anyway, stamps.com. With so much of our world digitized or automated, why stick to old school mailing and shipping? If you mail or shipped often, let stamps.com do the hard part for you. Simply print postage and shipping labels right from your home or office. It's ready to go in minutes. No long lines or complicated setup required. A post office in your office. Postage rates just increased again. Luckily, Stamps.com has the best discounts in the industry. They have amazing partnerships with the USPS and the UPS and UPS for unbeatable rates up to 84% off. Plus, Stamps.com automatically tells you your cheapest and fastest shipping options. Get access to the United States Postal Service or United Parcel Services you need right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And if you sell products online, stamps.com seamlessly connects you with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Avoid the hassle, man, and get started today with stamps.com. Sign up with the promo code BURR for a special offer. That includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code BURR, B-U-R-R. Here's another thing that I love about the Florida Panthers. Um, is when they're on the power play, if you look at, you know, they go into the box, the four-man box there. If you look at it, they're pressuring the puck still. And if you watch the Vegas Knights and all these other guys that play, they just sort of like, don't leave your your little circle area. Just kind of, you know, stay in the box, stay in the box. They fucking pressure the goddamn puck. Now, granted, they got fucked on it. I can't remember if they were on the power play or not. Somehow they had three guys behind the net. So I thought they were on the... uh, uh, on the wrong side of a power play. But uh, generally speaking, they're just constantly coming at you, man. I don't understand why more teams don't play that way. Um, If they can have that level of... Imagine if you played that way and you actually had, like, superstars on your team. Um, I don't want to. It's going to mess up my mullet. Um, All right. That's the first round draft pick. Uh, Bill, great emails. All right. 
Well, let's see. Oh, here's a question I had. What happens when you say, okay, Boomer, to Boomer Esiason? Does he get what you're saying? Is he like, okay, what? No, no, I meant like your generation. And he goes, oh, okay. Um, sorry. What the fuck did it go? All right, here we go. Mo Moto Racing. Uh, hey there, Billy Blue Balls. Um, I am not Billy Blue Balls, all right? I'm Billy Satisfied, if you know what I mean. Oh, Jesus. Afternoon delight, Billy Blue Balls and Andrew. I'm just writing to let you know that for the next two weeks... Oh, here it is. The Isle of Man TT races are on. There's an app that you can watch every session live online at uh, that HTTPS colon slash slash TT plus dash checkout dot IOMTTraces.com. I should just post that. And having spent, uh, is that 20 pounds? Is it 20 quid? Is quid and pounds the same thing? Is that like dollars and bucks? On it last year, I can honestly say it's the best money I've ever spent. And I'm Scottish. So me and my money aren't easily parted. All the best. You know what? I'm going to look that up. Why, why, are this, why are the Scottish people considered cheap? Um, why are Scottish... I remember my dad used to say that. My mother has some Scottish blood. When, you know, he wanted to buy something and she wouldn't. Ah, Christ, I'm telling you, it's that fucking Scottish blood. Uh, why are Scottish people considered cheap? Because uh, the English took everything they had. Cheap Scots and disappearing stereotypes. I'm not looking for the fucking woke shit. I want the... Why did Scottish people acquire a reputation for frugality? Uh, first thing it says, if you were abused by a priest as a child, you have rights. Priests abuse victims in California still have rights and can file a lawsuit anonymously. We believe you. Slash, we want to make money off of the most horrible thing that could ever happen to you. Uh, the Scottish reputation for frugality may have roots in the historical events such as the Highland Clearances, a period of mass eviction of tenants from their lands in the 18th and 19th century. Was that done by the English? This forced many Scots to become resourceful and frugal in order to survive. Additionally, Presbyterian work ethic, which emphasized hard work and thriftness, thriftiness may have contributed to the Scottish reputation for frugality. Finally, the harsh climate and rugged terrain of Scot Scotland uh, may also encourage, also have encouraged a culture of resourcefulness and carefulness, careful use of resources. The Highland clearances. What are the odds the English are behind this? That's always a good guess. Kind of anywhere in the Highland clearances. Let's see here. Come on, Wikipedia. You can do it. All right, the Highland Clearances were, were uh, the eviction of the Gales were, were the forced evictions of a significant number of tenants in Scottish Highland, Highlands and Islands, mostly in two phases, 1750 and 1860. Well, from 1750 to 1860. The first phase resulted from agricultural improvement. 
driven by the need for landlords to increase their income. Oh, it's the slumlords. My apologies to the English. Many had substantial debts with actual or potential bankruptcy being a large part of the story of the clearances. This involved the enclosure of the open fields managed on the run rig system and shared grazing. These were usually replaced with large scales pastoral farms on which much higher rents were paid. This is kind of what ended up happening in America, where they're all corporate farms now. Um, pastoral farming, region, regions as ranching, livestock farming or grazing is aimed. All right. Just seems like the usual, like, you know what's amazing? I, I would think like, you know, I don't understand why these people go on these shooting sprees and they just shoot regular hardworking people. It's like, if you want to go out in a blaze of glory, I mean, why don't you go shoot some of these fucking cunts that come up with this shit? Or don't. Why am I advocating a mass shooting? I am not, okay? I'm just fucking thinking out loud here. Whatever, people. I don't edit the podcast, all right? I don't edit myself. I just, you know, I just have a thought and I say, oh, Jesus Christ. This is a comedy podcast. Don't take it seriously. No one here at the Monday Morning Podcast advocates doing something like that, even though you're already out of your fucking mind if you went to go and do it. They would still somehow try to blame a comedian, you know, or an actor or somebody like that. Why? Yeah, blame them. Don't blame people that get us in endless fucking wars with no fucking solution that bankrupts it. Don't blame those guys. Blame a tie. What color's your tie? I don't like you. What color's your tie? Oh, you can do no wrong. Um, that works both both ways, by the way. You know, I love all these liberals that are up in arms about uh, fucking Trump and how he treats women, but they could care less about a certain fucking pasty-thighed uh, McDonald's-eating cunt that went to a certain island, allegedly, a good fucking 25, 30 times. All right, game-changing NBA players. All right, so last time, I, I was wanting to, ent- uh, you know, introduce this debate here. What I feel, you know, if you're going to get compared to a Gretzky, a Jordan, a Lawrence Taylor, I feel like you have to do, you have to change the game. You have to do the impossible. What you do on the field, people didn't think was possible, and then You do it, you show it is possible, and then your game then becomes the standard. And then all of a sudden, it takes about two or three generations. Then your play becomes standard. And that's the hard thing with younger people. When they look at like Jordan highlights and shit like that, they don't understand that no one had done shit like that. Like he came up with it. It's kind of like the Beatles. People be like, eh, they're not that groundbreaking. You know, fucking 60 years later, it's like, well, that's because everyone has taken from him. You know what I mean? So anyway, so my opinion is like, uh, yeah, if you change the game, you change the game and then people, you actually ruin the game for a minute because people can't do what you're doing, but they want to do it too. Like uh, when Jordan dominated the game, all of a sudden there was, you know, and didn't need a big man to feed down low. Uh, all of a sudden, everybody started playing like that and they weren't as good as him and it became awful fucking basketball for a while. And right now, I, I think the Steph Curry influence where there's kids now pulling up from like fucking half court <laughs> instead of trying to work the ball around the perimeter. I can't imagine Bobby Knight trying to fucking coach now. Jesus Christ, you think he slapped people then? Um, anyway, so that, that was, that's, 
that's just my opinion on, on what makes somebody the greatest. So, game-changing NBA players. Ni Heo, Billy Boy. Greetings from China. Ni Hai. Okay, I, I can learn how to say that. No disrespect. You're going to write all the way in from China. You can at least learn how to say hello. You know, I just talked for another fucking 20 minutes. I didn't realize when I watched that woman from China's video on how to say hello in Chinese that because it was audio, it shut off my recorder on my phone. Uh, Ni Hao, Billy Boy, greetings from China. Heard your opinions on the game-changing players, and I only agree with you partially. Okay, so this was, uh, yeah, yeah, I already explained this. Uh, Yes, Michael, this person goes to say, Michael, Jordan, and Curry were the most influential players in 30 years, and young guys in their era all try to imitate their game. I think people are still doing that with Steph Curry, where I feel like Michael Jordan's moves and the stuff, the way he played the game, has been absorbed into the league. The same way when you have a groundbreaking band that comes along and changes music, then everybody just is influenced, rips them off, and then when enough time goes by, young people go back and look at the originators and they go, well, what's the big deal? Everybody plays guitar like that. Or everybody can write a song like that. What's the big deal? Um, so that's why it's hard as an older person to, uh, you know, talk to younger people about what certain players did because you were there when it happened. And I, I always equate that to like, um, remember my math teacher going like, you guys have no idea what it was like when a Beatles album came out. Like what the fuck that experience was like. And that was in the 80s. And they had already, the Beatles had already been ripped off for like 20 years. <clears throat> so anyway, here we go. Let's hear what this person has to say. However, for, the most, for most people, uh, imitating their game only means imitating their signature moves. Everyone could do a post-up fade away like Michael Jordan or Kobe. Uh, Kobe is not in Michael Jordan's class, okay? Kobe could do Michael Jordan's moves, but I never saw Kobe do anything like, uh, you know, it's just the, the, the gap between Michael Jordan and Dr. J was like infinite, which you never thought was going to be. Like he was so fucking far ahead of everybody. Kobe came along and could play like Michael, could play as good as Michael. I'll give him that, but he didn't play better. He didn't change the game. I hate that he's passed away for obvious reasons. But like I always, whenever I criticize this game, I feel like I'm being disrespect. But I'm just, I'm not disrespecting the man. Okay, he was. I, I, I always say I never saw a fucking guy with two people hanging all over him, fucking, you know, behind the arc and still hit the three pointer so consistently. He was a fucking beast, one hundred percent. But I don't. He didn't change the game the way Michael did. He just didn't. All right, and every everyone can dribble twice and shoot a three like Curry. Everyone can do that. Well, all right. Well, if everyone can do that, they're doing it because they saw him. do. Everyone can be 10 feet behind the fucking three-point arc and consistently hit it at an NBA level. Uh, I have to be honest with you. What Steph Curry is doing is has never been done. And he does it on a consistent level that he's showing that human beings have this capability. So what will happen? You watch with his game, young fellas. His game is going to get absorbed into the, into the NBA. And in 20 years, 
people are going to watch what Steph Curry did and be like, what's the big deal? I can fucking do that. I can do that. It's like, you can do that because he showed everybody that it was possible. Anyway, this person goes, only very few people can make a layup while two guys are trying to drag him or her down. That's not true. They've always had people like that. There's always been the fucking Charles Barkley, Larry Johnson, just fucking, I'm trying to think, Moses Malone. There's always been those guys that can bang. Um, although those guys have kind of been phased out of the game, I feel. Uh, the guy goes, that's why we hardly see people try to play like super powerful guys such as LeBron and Shaq. Yes, I feel like LeBron and Shaq are physical anomalies, but they didn't change the game. Um, this guy goes on to say that doesn't mean these guys couldn't change the game. In fact, the NBA changed rules several times because of these super beings. They changed the goaltending rule because of Wilt Chamberlain. Yes, I wouldn't put Shaq and LeBron in Wilt Chamberlain's category. They made like a bunch of rules to stop Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, they made dunking illegal. Um, they did everything to try because that guy was like 20 years ahead of his time. You got to be 20 years ahead of your time, I feel. Um, the five-second back-to-the-basket violation is known as the Charles Barkley rule. Zone defense was brought back to tackle Shaq, into tackle Shaq. Yeah, those are just, I mean, okay, there's the Sean Avery rule. I mean, I'm talking about, like, changing the game. Not like somebody's doing some shit, like, all right, we got to do this. To There's always rules like that. Like, you know, if you come out and you put Vaseline in the bill of your cap, you know, and then they go, you can't fucking do that. Are you now in the same category as Babe Ruth? I don't know what you're saying there. Um, I do highly agree with you on LeBron, though. He did not change how people play. He was dominating. He's still dominating. Uh, but not to the point that the league has to change rules. He didn't change the sport, how you play, but he did change the league. After the take my talents to South Beach, too many super teams were made by trading instead of good old-fashioned drafting. That was definitely a watershed moment, but uh, I think the Kobe, Shaq, Phil Jackson, I mean, there's three free agents right there. Charlotte Hornet of Orlando Magic and then, um, you know, the coach of the Bulls, which is another thing. They go, oh, you know, Michael Jordan had Phil Jackson. It's like Michael, Phil Jackson was former Nick Phil Jackson, assistant coach Phil Jackson. He became, the legend of Phil Jackson happened in Chicago. It's not like they got him and we're like, all right, this guy's a proven coach that wins a championship. Anyway, P.S. I have a few, uh, I have a Chinese joke about America for you. Oh, I love this shit. Let's hear it. What smack are you talking about us? A few days ago, China manned space exploration office announced that they plan to go to the moon by 2030. And it soon became a hot topic on the internet. Some people in China don't believe the 1969 Neil Armstrong moon landing is true. So people are discussing how we can find out the truth when we get up there. Oh my God, that's amazing. Put the debate to bed. Some say we can bring back lunar soil and compare ours to what NASA gave us decades ago. Dude, I can tell you right now, if we fake that lunar landing, there is no fucking way you're getting a Ziploc bag of our Mojave Desert fucking sand. We're not sending it to you. Anyway, some suggest that we can, we can go find that flag Neil Armstrong left on the moon to prove whether or not we got there. All right, here's the joke. Well, there's a very quick and simple way to tell if the moon landing by America is true. When you land on the moon and you find no natives on the moon, uh, 
then you know the Americans were there before. <laughs> That's a fucking great joke. They're talking about the genocide of the Native Americans. There you go. Great fucking joke. That's what I love about travel. You know, when you meet people from other countries, another other part of the world, and you realize that they break balls the same way you do. That's fantastic. And then these pieces of shit with the different colored ties try to tell you that everybody in that country is evil. They're not. Like, whoever wrote that joke, fucking fantastic joke. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of person you want to go have a beer with. You know, but you watch CNN and Fox, you know, evildoers and all this. Oh, shut up, Bill. I'm, it's true, though. Anyway, the person says, that's it. Love your stand-ups. Love your podcast. Keep up the good work. Come visit China sometime and go fuck yourself. <laughs> I had an eyelash on my phone there. Yeah, I'd love to come back there. I went to Hong Kong one time. I still think about the food that I had there. Still. Still the greatest. From Singapore to, to China, the fucking dumplings that I had there. I, they, they were, I couldn't believe they didn't float up to the fucking ceiling. They were so light. Oh my God, they were fucking amazing. Uh, anyway, keeping your son in his room. Oh boy, I'm going to get some parental advice here. God knows that always happens. You open your fucking yap. Here we go. Hi, Bill. If you put a child safety doorknob cover on the inside of your son's room, he cannot open his door and get into your room. I did that with three kids. My wife thought it was kind of fucked up to do. That's my initial feeling. That it's kind of fucked up. This guy goes on to say, I told her that if we had a house fire, we'd know the kids were in their room and we wouldn't have to search for them. But what if the fire's in their room and they can't get out? The guy says, parentheses, I built a career out of pitching worst case scenarios to get my way. Um, the guy goes on to say, I can't guarantee that he won't hoot and holler about wanting to get out. Eventually he'll figure out how to, how to defeat you, but maybe you'll get some uninterrupted sleep for a stretch of time. I hated getting up in the middle of the night, and I bet you do too. I really enjoy all of your stuff. All the best to you and yours from the Boston area. Um, no, you know... I don't know. I look, I love to sleep through the night. He's he's barely doing it now, but I I just kind of like um I just walk him back. Like, come on, buddy. What are we doing? So, and then when he comes in early in the morning like 5:30 or 6, I open my eyes and the sun's out. At that point, I just walk him back into his room and then there's a adult bed in there and I just, you know, sleep in that so he he got in the bed this morning and like uh he listens to that coco melon stuff and they got this song that they sing they go uh you know do you like broccoli da -da 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 -da. yes i do yes i do do you like pizza yes i do yes i do and then it goes do you like broccoli pizza but -da 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 -da. no i don't yucky and the kids like saying no i don't and saying yucky and shit. And they also like, uh, you know, they're teaching them that certain things don't go together or whatever, right? So I was joking around with him and I was singing his name, you know? Do you like that? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And then I would combine it with something else. Do you like so-and-so, you know, popcorn? No, I don't. Yucky, right? So 5.30 in the morning, I'm in there. I put him to bed. I get in the big bed. And then he comes walking over. He gets in the bed with me. I'm like, I, I just don't have the energy to get back up again. And he's like rubbing my head, slapping it, 
fucking squeezing my ear, kicking me, doing all of this shit. And then he just starts singing. He goes, do you like Dada? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And then he skipped the next verse. And he just goes, do you like Dada Granola? No, I don't. Yucky. <laughs> and I just start cracking up. So I would miss out on those moments. As tired as I am, I'd miss out on those moments. And I don't want to do that. And uh, I don't mind being tired as a parent. It's part of being a parent. And uh, my son has the greatest smile. And he's such a happy, happy kid, which I'm really proud of. Um, I really feel like, you know, I guess a benchmark of your parental skills, at least when they're young, before they get into the teenage angst and then you really can't, you just try to navigate them through that. But I mean, you really can't control their moods. But like under 10, I feel like if they're happy and that type of stuff, uh, you're doing a great job. Like we went out this morning because it's sort of like their birthday weekend. And I went out and I got some, you know, pastries or whatever. And I brought both my kids. I take my kids everywhere. Um, I just really believe in that, you know, bringing them along. You know, and then you can really subtly like expose them to music and that type of stuff. Like I've been on this fucking 1960s Miles Davis kick. And at first they were like, what is this? Now they're just sort of listening to it. And what I love is they're so young and um, just absorbing things like a sponge. I really think Tony Williams drumming and Miles Davis and, and you know, John Coltrane and all that, to have that in them along with my ACDC and my, uh, all of my wife's amazing music is just like a great thing to uh, expose them to. And you know what else was cool was um, we have like these dance parties like once a week. I started doing this, right? Because I didn't want like uh, my daughter and my son to have like anxiety like I did about any type of social situations because I, I just, you know, did not experience a lot of them. And then all of a sudden by the time I got to them, I was like, you know, just hopelessly behind and it caused me to get even more introverted and, and, and it's just, you know, not a fun place to be, right? So last week we were doing like the electric slide, teaching them how to do the electric slide. Then there's the, the cha-cha slide where it's the electric slide with the cha-cha-cha step or whatever. And they, you know, my kids were having a blast and all that. And it just so happens my wife ends up going to a party with one of her friends, brings my daughter and they do the cha-cha-cha slide. And my daughter got up and did it. And I, I was so fucking happy. I was like, yeah, that's what you do. Something you struggled with. You make sure your kids, you know, you try to fix that. I know that they're going to have their problems or whatever. But I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a big thing. So in answer to your question, I'm not going to take the doorknob off so the kid can't get out. <laughs> but I appreciate it. And I will tell you, my wife suggested something along those lines because uh, she's not built like me. Where I'm, I'm German-Irish, so I can just deny anything that I'm feeling. I can just compartmentalize it until it fucking it, it comes out in misdirected anger later on in the day or fucking 20 years later. But my wife is really in tune with her body and it's just like, I need eight hours sleep. So... Um, it's messing with her more so than me. Um, not to say that I'm a better parent because there's other shit that messes with me, does not mess with her. All right, here we go. All right, 
for all intents. I don't know how to say this. Okay, this is expressions. If you're, if you're new to the podcast, there's a bunch of expressions that people don't say correctly or they combine them with other ones. And, oh, fuck, I heard one this week and I forgot to write it down. Oh. Something about coming to blows. I forget. I think I actually heard a sportscaster say it. All right, for all intents. Hey, Bill, I just realized that my saying for all intensive purposes. You know what I said? I said for all intents and purposes. For all intents and purposes. That's how I said it. It's all for all intensive purposes. Wait. Oh, you say for all intensive purposes. Makes me a dumbass as the phrase is actually. Oh, it is right. I am getting for all intents and purposes. For all intensive purposes. <laughs> well, maybe if people enunciated, they didn't say it so fast because yours kind of made sense to the point I thought yours was right. Uh, my learning this last week really stings as I've been a full-time writer for over 30 years. You got to forgive yourself, man. That's not the first or the last. At least you corrected it. Um, how did I not know I was saying and writing this phrase wrong? Uh, why did no one ever tell me? For all intents and purposes, you are a dumbass for saying that, for saying that incorrectly. I am an idiot. Oh, what got on? I'm sorry, I read that wrong. Why did no one ever tell me, for all intents and purposes, you are a dumbass for saying that incorrectly? I am an idiot. Oh, well, you live, you learn. Keep doing what you do as it makes my life more enjoyable. Best regards. All right, well, and, and good luck with your uh, your writing. Um, all right, what do we got left here? What do we have? What do we have left here? We got one more, everybody. Uh, help with expressions. Hey, Billy, beat tits burr, 46-year-old Mexican with a question. Number one, uno. Look at me, huh? It's a little tip of the fucking hat there. Uh, what does hindsight's 2020 mean? All right, question for you. All right, hindsight's 2020. That means when you look back and all the events have played out, uh, you can see clearly what the right choice was. Number two, dos, catorze, uh, as Bono would say. Uno, catorze. Uh, and what the hell do you Americans mean when you say, well, catch 22? Catch 22 means damned if you do, damned if you don't. There's no right choice. Um, you're obviously not married if you don't know what that means. <laughs> An, ex- an explanation from the mind of Burke could definitely make my day. Okay, so I explained the first one. Catch-22 means you're fucked either way. Do I go left or do I go right? All right, on the left is a the most poisonous snake in the world. On the right is uh, fucking that lethal injection that they give you. Well, I guess, well, no matter what, you're going to die. That's a bad example. Well, you know something? I don't know what where Catch-22 came from. Catch-22. Origin. Come on. Origin, origin. Uh, the 1960s title of novel, blah, 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 not that. Where did the expression catch 22 come from? Comes from Joseph 
1961 classic novel, Catch-22, a satirical depiction of the American military bureaucracy in World War II. So he sort of coined the phrase by, why did he call the book Catch-22? All right, let's, let's, let's go a little deeper here. A Catch-22 is a paradoxical situation from which an individual cannot escape because of contradictory rules or limitations. The term was coined by Joseph Heller, who used it in his 1961 novel, uh, Catch-22. And here's an example. Are you concerned for your own safety in flying these missions? No. Then you continue flying the mission. If you say yes, this is rational, so you cannot be exempted on the grounds of insanity. So you still have to fl fly the mission. Oh, yeah. So if you say yes or no, the outcome is still going to be the same. Uh, Catch-22s often result from rules and regulations, origin and meeting. Here we go. All right. Catch-22, which des descri describes absurd bureaucratic constraints. Yeah, but why did he call it Catch-22? All right, I'm not going to be able... They're not going to answer that fucking question. Um, yeah, so it basically someone is asking you to do something crazy. If you say no, you're like, well, that's the proper response. Um, so obviously you're sane enough to do this, so then they make you fucking do it. And then we'll, I already forgot. What happens if you say yes? Uh, are you concerned about your own safety? Well, if you say no, then, well, great, because you got the balls to do this. So no matter what, you're going to have to fly the mission. I guess that's what it is. I, I think I did better on the first one. Um, but anyway, you should know better. You should know better than to ask me to clear things up. All right, that is it. I'm going to watch game two of the NBA finals. And I'm going to continue watching the Stanley Cup final. And I'm going to start watching baseball, get caught up on my Red Sox to see where there's at. I, last I checked, we were two games over 500 and in last place because the Devil Rays are burning it up. And the Baltimore Orioles are in second place, which is really exciting to me because they always had such great pitching staffs when I was growing up. And I'll be honest with you, I'm sick of Red Sox-Yankees every fucking year. How about that? All right, that's it. Go fuck yourselves and I'll check in on you on Thursday.